The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Merry Christmas to one and all. And welcome to episode 157 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Oh my goodness, this week I am thrilled to be visiting with Massachusetts native and two-time Agatha Award-nominated author Edwin Hill. Listen in as Edwin and I discuss really fascinating subjects like how writing a mystery is like doing a puzzle, character growth in a series, inhabiting your character through details, and writing a female-led series as a male. Not only are we having that discussion, but uh, during his reading, his character, Hester Thursby, gives us a relatable quote for the ages when she says, none of us have a choice when it comes to vegetables. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that that stood out so big whenever he read that line. Uh, And that comes from his latest book, Watch Her, It's the latest in the Hester Thursby mystery book, which is available for pre-order right now. And the book comes out a few days after Christmas on December 29th from Kensington Books. So make sure you are ordering that right now. The link is in the show notes. So stay tuned for it. It's a fantastic interview and conversation with Mr. Hill. So uh, stay tuned for that. It's coming up here in just a moment. Meanwhile, I want to go ahead and personally thank all of you that have already pre-ordered my next book, A Novel Idea. The pre-order went live last week, and already there's been, oh my gosh, there's been a great turnout for it. I'm, I'm blown away. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Everybody who's pre-ordered the digital copy of it, it's 99 cents right now through uh, New Year's weekend, the first uh, weekend of the year, and that's uh, that's available right now through Amazon. If you want to hear more about the book or or even learn about me, I was a very recent guest on the Matters of Faith podcast with Jay Wilburn. Uh, it's a really great discussion and uh, I had a blast talking with him about uh, not only the show, but also we talked about my writing and uh, actually dove in to a lot about my writing. And uh, we even discussed some about my own personal journey in life and uh, and in faith. So it's, it's a great show. It's a really great episode. Jay's a fantastic host. And uh, if, you, uh, if you're if you interested in that, I'm going to include a link for that in the show notes as well. Also, a link for my pre-order. If anybody hasn't picked one up yet, you can click that link in the show notes. And that, uh, that book goes live on New Year's Eve. And it's going to be 99 cents from now through, uh, through that weekend. Thank you. Hey, of course, I also want to thank my favorite writing software, the software I use to create a novel idea, Scrivener Writing Software. I talk about this all the time on the show. I absolutely adore Scrivener. And, you know, it's been it's been a lot of fun uh, getting to this point of the writing process. This is my first time finishing a book using Scrivener. And I've been discovering new things about it, how to compile and uh, put the book into the, uh, you know, the reading format so that you can see what it's going to look like in Kindle or in print. And it's really been fascinating. It's a lot of fun learning these steps. So it's one I really recommend that you check out. 
and if you're interested in picking up a copy of it for yourself you can get the regular desktop version for 20% off by using coupon code chapter hey check out this ad for them and then uh, click that link in the show notes to learn more Jason here hey I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool Scrivener now I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I from the novice to best-selling novelists the reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application and with tools like automatic backup character maps project goals and let's not forget that amazing corkboard you can see why i use scrivener every day as a bonus for sample chapter podcast listeners use code chapter for 20 percent off your desktop version scrivener writing software built by writers for writers all right i also want to thank one of my podcast networks i'm so happy to be a part of which is the pop goes the culture network uh, they are home to about a dozen different shows, lots of fun things going on over there, everything pop culture related, from movie news to uh, television, toys, you know, cartoons, just everything, every, just everything you can think of that's pop culture, it is, they have a show for it, or they're discussing it within one of those dozen shows, fantastic stuff. Uh, check out their latest, ep- their latest episode of Multiverse Tonight where they are wishing you a Marvel-us Christmas. <laughs> As if you can't figure out what that episode's about, they are discussing the latest uh, Marvel news from Disney during Investor Day and uh, talking about all that uh, incredible stuff that came out. I also want to thank Project Entertainment Network, home to 36 different podcasts of a wide variety of subjects, The the subjects are so far-ranging that I can't even keep them all straight half the time. So, (laughs) I invite you to check out this advertisement for one of those amazing shows. And then click the link in the show notes to find all the rest of those shows in there. And uh, just take your pick. You can't go wrong. There's so many great shows. Hey, check this out. Are you so tired of having your own thoughts? Are you just totally exhausted having your own beliefs on every single thing in the entire world? Well, don't worry. Here at Your New Opinion, we do the thinking for you. Join Ryan, Nick, and Ben as the boys debate topics that we probably know nothing about using every dirty trick they can think of to win. Everything from if net neutrality is good or bad, to cake versus pie, to who killed JFK. So if you're looking to never have your own thoughts again, check out your new opinion every Friday. All right, that was a fantastic show and another one of those from Project Entertainment that I listened to. Hey, uh, without further ado, I think it's time for us to go ahead and hop on over to our interview with Mr. Edwin Hill and hear all about his latest Hester Thursby mystery, Watcher. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sample Chapter Podcast. This week, I am so excited to have a a new-to-me author, Edwin Hill. Mr. Hill is the... Edgar and Agatha Award-nominated author of Little Comfort, The Missing Ones, and his most recent, Watcher. And I'm so delighted to have him here today with me. Mr. Hill, welcome to the show. 
Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> I the the thrill is all mine. I yeah, like I said, you're a new author to me, but it's one of the the little pleasures I have of doing this show is getting to meet someone who has the the accolades and the uh, the amazing uh, books that you have, and I I cannot wait to dive into some of these. These are you, you have a, a really outstanding collection of awards and and books already. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's been it's been um, it's been very gratifying to uh, have people appreciate the books and to have that recognition. Yes. Now you're in Massachusetts. Uh, how are you doing? Are you staying safe and healthy up there? Yeah, you know, I mean, this has been a tough year, I think, for a lot of people. Um, I live right in Boston, which you know, which is an urban center. We use a lot of public transportation here, so it's been mm. it's been a challenging few months, and I I hope that we'll be coming to an end. This this will be coming to an end, you know, in the next next little while. Yeah, hoping hoping so myself. Have you? I, I, I've been asking this this year. <laughs> it's kind of come up a lot. Has the pandemic been? Any kind of a silver lining for you when it comes to writing? Oh, I don't know if I would put it that way. I did have a nice creative burst at the very beginning of it, mm. um, where I wrote a sort of the begin the beginning of a novel that's not part of this series that I'm I then put aside to work on something else. But it was it, th- there was sort of a creative burst there. I'm working on a book that I have under contract right now, and. Um, and I would say that it's been it's been challenging to focus this fall and this uh, going into the winter, uh, mm-hmm. but that can be the case a lot of the time when you're working on a draft of a novel, <laughs> which can be challenging. Yeah, it it seems uh, from some of the people I've spoken with, it seems like that beginning of the pandemic was everybody was kind of like, you know, shuffling their hands together. Okay, I'm going to get to work. I'm going to write that book and started off strong. And then as summer kind of came and went, and then the fall, it was wearing them down and not as productive. And and everybody seems to be kind of getting back into, okay, this is what it is. This is life now. Let's get back into some writing and, and getting a little more creativity again. Yeah. Well, I think also there's a little bit of hope on the horizon now too. So that's, it's always nice to have some hope to focus on. Oh, that's, that's well said. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so give us a little bit of your your history as a as a writer. Is this something you had always aspired to? Uh, yeah, you know, writing was something that I was always really interested in. Um, I, I tried doing it uh, here and there in fits and starts and didn't have a lot of success. Um, I, I did write another novel many, many years ago and uh, got an agent and shopped that around. Um, it didn't sell. And I, um, I just stopped writing for a while. I, I, I never, it, it just got kind of discouraging. And I did start, I started um, writing again around uh, 2010, 2011. And that, that wound up um, resulting in my first novel, Little Comfort. So um, definitely something that I've always wanted to do. I always really liked Agatha Christie when I was a kid. Uh, I always loved mysteries, like any kind of mystery, like the Three Investigators or the Hardy Boys or anything like that. And it was always something that I was very, um, very interested in. But uh, it took me a while to figure out the path forward. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, uh, had you had you considered? Uh, yeah, you, you you were starting that first book, uh, Little Comfort. Was there any idea of maybe going indie with it, or uh, had you always hoped? to find a, a home for it in a house? 
I had always tried to find a home for it in a house. Uh, when I, I started shopping that book around in 2013, and they're def- I mean, there are definitely indie publishers have been around for a while now, and that's a, that's a really good path forward for a lot of authors. Mm-hmm. I think you have to have a lot of, um, you have, a, have to have a broad set of skills to be successful at indie publishing. You have to have good design skills. You have to have good um, bookmaking skills. And um, that wasn't something that I wanted to put a lot of energy into personally. Uh, but for folks who, gosh, for folks who are, are, are able to do those things and, and to rally the troops to do those, indie publishing is a really good option. Yeah. So now whenever you began this first book, the, uh, the Little Comfort, you introduced us to a new character, Hester Thursby. And something that uh, I can relate to a little bit, but I'm interested to hear your opinion on it. What was it like writing a, a, a from a female point of view as a male author? Oh, that's an interesting question. Well, I, your job as a fiction writer, of course, is to, is to inhabit the lives of people who aren't you. I mean, that, that's what fiction is. Um, and oftentimes those people are very different from you and oftentimes they're somewhat similar to you. And so when I created Hester, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about why I created Hester. When I started Little Comfort, um, I actually started with the antagonists and the antagonists in that book uh, are two men. Their names are uh, Sam Blaine and Gabe DiPersio. And for a while I was going to write that novel like, like sort of like an anti-hero story. Mm. And eventually I decided that they needed a foil. They, they're, the, the novel needed a hero. Mm-hmm. And when I came up with Hester, I, I really didn't want to write a novel about three men. So I was like, I'll just make the protagonist a woman. I'll make it this woman named Hester Thursby. And hence the whole series was born out of that small decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but to get back to your question about writing from a woman's point of view, you know, you have to be really mindful for all of your characters. You want to be really mindful that there's an authenticity there so mm-hmm. that when, pe- when people read, when, when uh, people read your novels, that they feel like you've actually inhabited that character. Um, so I, with Hester, there are a couple things that I, I keep kind of, um, that I take from my own personality to infuse her, her decision-making a little bit. Um, she is, she really, for example, she really loves uh, watching old movies, which I really love to do too. She is a little bit of a grump, which I am too. Um, <laughs> but then there are lots of things that are different about us. And one of the, the more challenging thing than the gender is her age. She's 12 years younger than I am. And uh, when you really think about age and like what your experiences are, the differences between someone who is, well, she's about 40 now and I'm about 50. The differences, that 10 year difference is really different. The music that you experience is different. The way you uh, engage with technology is different. So I have to be really mindful about uh, that kind of thing as well. But honestly, if I were to write a book that was about only about characters who are exactly like me, uh, no one would read it because it would be so boring. <laughs> I can understand that. Uh, and the reason I was interested in that was my first novel I wrote, the protagonist was a teenage girl. Mm-hmm. And I, I have teenage girls uh, daughters and so I was always asking them and my wife like okay so you know it's just ridiculous questions like well if she's going to do her hair she needs to do this right uh, like if she wants to add body she needs to bend over and I've seen you all blow dry your hair like this and doing things and they're answering my questions and rolling their eyes at me and 
and you know even though it's like ridiculous i'm still going even taking notes of that like okay yeah rolling the eyes don't forget that <laughs> that's different funny. things well, i'll tell you hester hester's sort of a tomboy i mean she wears her hair in a ponytail most of the time that's <laughs> kind of easy to to write about she doesn't wear makeup so i did eliminate some of those things that you're talking about <laughs> yeah there was there ended up being a lot that helped me inform my ideas for the character but that had no place in the story and ended up coming out later on it was like editing was was a uh, was a real boom for it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will say I have a I have a, I have a group of beta readers um, that I ask to read each novel, and a lot of those a lot of those people are women, and I do ask them to read for authenticity to make sure that uh, nothing feels off. Oh, okay, well that's good. Uh, with uh, with your beta readers, is that a way to also help avoid any kind of uh, stereotypes or gender dynamics? Oh yeah, all sorts of different things. So the novels, all, all three of the novels have the same structure. They're told from four uh, point of view characters. So Hester is one of the point of view characters and then there are three other point of view characters. Mm -hmm. And so I'll look for beta readers to read who, are, who represent who those people are to make sure that they, um, that the characters come off as, as authentic. Oh, wonderful. That's great. And, and that's something that, again, that uh, I wanted to, I was worried about whether or not I was going to come across as a, as a girl or, you know, or, or not. But then I, whenever I wrote scenes from, um, I, I had a, uh, Oh, one of the, one of the bad guys and they had done something terrible in a scene. I just kind of glazed over it at first. And, uh, one of my beta readers came back later and said, you're going to have to like, kind of get into that person's uh, point of view to write this better. Cause they, I didn't, me glazing over it did not make them seem bad. Uh, have you had any experiences like that? Um, no, my characters, the antagonists tend to be pretty <laughs> bad in my novels. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's good. That's good. Do, do you have any struggles keeping these characters authentic uh, throughout or having them grow as characters throughout the series? Well, I think that's one of the challenges of a series in general. So I'm, this is my third book in this series. And I think sh series should definitely have a, sh a shelf life. Um, so I'm curious, kind of looking forward, I'm curious when this series might end. But I did build, I, I started, when I started the first book, I knew it would be a series. So I, I, I have some benchmarks for Hester as a character and the main characters that are recurring in the, in the novels. Uh, and to see where they grow. So there's the Hester in the first book, Little Comfort, uh, has changed quite a bit by the time you read the third book. Mm -hmm. um, she, Hester lives in Somerville, Massachusetts, which is right next to Boston. Um, she lives with her longtime boyfriend, who is a guy named Morgan McGuire. And um, they, together, they're raising Morgan's niece, uh, who is Kate. And Kate was three years old in the first novel, four years old in the second novel, and she's five in the third novel. Um, and one of the big storylines, the overarching storylines is, is Hester's sort of relationship with Kate. Hester is, you know, she's in her mid thirties, late to late thirties as the series progresses. And she didn't have kids. She's someone who had decided not to have children. Um, and all of a sudden she's responsible for taking care of this child. And she, she's not thrilled by it. Uh, she, you know, she's an adult and she knows that she has to be responsible for the kid. But at the same time, she also isn't thrilled by the fact that this, this child has been foisted on her. So mm -hmm. one of the things that I've really worked on in the series is, is her relationship with Kate and her relationship with the, the fact that she is a caretaker 
and and uh, having her find some joy in the fact that she's raising this child. So that that was really gratifying in this last novel. Hester really came to terms with with Kate, and and they started having a lot of fun together. Oh, that's very nice. Do you? Uh, how about uh, secondary characters? Are they growing and changing from uh, from book to book as well? Yeah, uh, Hester has this group of people that she hangs out with, and they sort of um, they they come forward and go backwards into the um, into the stories depending on the needs of each story. One of the fun things with writing a series, though, is that you you can have have characters really grow out of the series. And you can also listen to readers and find out who people are responding to. Mm. So one character in my first book, um, who just kind of came out of the writing process, was a woman named Angela White. Uh, She's a detective with the Boston Police Department. And she grew out of the novel because basically there was a murder and there needed to be a detective, uh, someone to investigate the murder. And so I thought, okay, Angela White. Um, So she showed up. Uh, in in that first book, she probably has three or four scenes, and um, people really liked her. Readers really responded to her. She comes in about two thirds of the way through the novel, and so I listened to readers and I thought, oh, okay, well, people like this woman. Let's bring her back. So when I was writing my second novel, I um, I had already started my second novel by the time my first when my first one came out. So I I sort of wove a, a storyline into that novel for her, but she was still definitely a secondary character. And when the second book came out, again, people really responded well to Angela White. So I thought, okay, let's make her a major character in the third book. So um, in in uh, Watch Her, the book that is coming out now, um, Hester and Angela work hand in hand to solve the crime together. So it's sort of like an amateur sleuth paired up with a detective. And that was really fun to do. And Angela definitely grew in this novel just because we get to spend more time with her. Wow, that's that's really fascinating. One of the things I wonder about is uh, is a, a common thing that people talk about with your books, which you know it's uh, they're complex mysteries, they're twists that take your breath away, things that people talk about. So how do you go about creating such a uh, such a mystery and, and putting in those twists? How do you formulate those? Do you do you know them in advance? That is such an interesting question because I have approached writing each novel completely differently. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I mean, my, my, uh, my strategy to getting to the end point has been completely different each time. Like, like most authors, my first novel was a learning experience, I think. You know, mm-hmm. I was going through it. I was trying to figure out how to do it. I didn't have an agent. I didn't have a publisher. And, you know, so a lot of, a lot of your first novel is working on your own, having faith in yourself. Um, finding people to help support you as you go through that process. And I would definitely say it was on the pantser side of uh, writing. So people talk about pantsers versus plotters. Pantsers are people who just f- uh, fly by the seat of their pants. Mm-hmm. And plotters are people who you know outline and use string to sort of figure out their novels. Um, my second novel, The Missing Ones, it was, I was working full-time. I had a very, very demanding job when I was working that novel, writing that novel. And I also had a deadline, which I hadn't had for my first book. So that one, I definitely used an outline of a very detailed outline, just because I had no, I had no spare time. So I really had to keep to a schedule to make sure that that one came out uh, when it, when it was supposed to. And then my third novel was sort of a mix of both of those things. Um, but I always think of writing a mystery as it's sort of like you're putting a puzzle together, but you don't 
you're not, you don't look at the picture on the box and you don't look at the colors on the pieces of, of puzzle. You're just kind of doing it upside down and you're trying to figure out how all these things come together. Mm -hmm. And there's this glorious moment and um, you never know when it's gonna happen, but there's this glorious moment when you're writing where all of a sudden the, the, the picture starts to take shape for you. And all of a sudden you see how everything fits together. Um, and that's, for me, that's the moment when writing really becomes uh, exciting. I will say, all, again, all of my books are told from por four points of view. So one of the things that I really enjoy doing in these books is figuring out which character knows which parts of the mystery. Oh. Um, and so that by the end of the novel, if I'm successful, by the end of the novel, the reader has taken you know, a little part of the story from each of the four characters and has pieced together the mystery themselves. Oftentimes at the end of the mystery, even Hester doesn't quite know all of the details of the story, but you, the reader, do. Oh, that's fascinating. Wow. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. It, it causes like a, a six-month-long headache for me, but it is fun <laughs> to do. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So now, how often does that uh, kind of reveal itself to you as you're writing? Or, you know, like I said, do you have it... Um, like you kind of already know the ending and you're just working your way to it. It's funny, like with my second book, I absolutely knew the ending. Like I had the ending, it was like cinematic, the ending in my head. Mm -hmm. um, I added a few more details like right before the ending. I didn't know all of those details, but the actual ending of that novel, I knew from the start. With my third novel, the one that's out now, Watch Her, I changed the ending like 10 times. I had no idea. Like I kept changing who did it. I kept changing like how we got to the ending. And, um, and that was really nice too. It felt very organic as, as I sort of uh, figure out how all of the pieces fit together. Oh, wow. That sounds incredible. And it's, and that's coming out uh, here oh, right away, uh, December 29th. I think I, I looked at the wrong one earlier saying it was already out, but no, that's coming up very soon, but you can, everybody can pre-order it right now by yep. clicking the link in the show notes. So what's uh, what's next for you? Are we going to hear more from Hester or is it something completely different? Uh, right now I'm working on a standalone mystery that it takes place in Boston like the other three books do. And actually Angela White, who I talked about earlier, has a very minor role in it. But Hester and Morgan and Kate are not in this novel. Um, and it's about three siblings. Their names are Natalie, Grace, and Henry Darling. And 25 years ago, they found their, their father's body in the marsh uh, behind their house. He'd been shot dead. And their neighbor, a woman named Diane Sykes, uh, who was having an affair with their father, was convicted of murder and sent to prison for life. Uh, now Diane is up for parole and asking the darlings to support her release. And so it's about, um, it's about them dealing with the past, the, the, what, what occurred during that story. And then there's a lot going on in the present story as well. Oh, wow. Okay, so it, it's standalone, but you've got a character from the other series. Yep. Kind of creating your own Hester universe sort of That's thing. exactly right. <laughs> it's the Hester Thursby universe, though Hester Thursby is not there. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. So kind of a, like, like what Stephen King does. Do you, uh, do you see more characters maybe doing some standalones? Uh, I think that might be fun. And a lot of the a lot of the stand, a lot of the uh, secondary characters are really starting to pop off the page for me. So I think that would be fun. It's fun to be able to extend 
extend the story and, and try different, you know, once you get into a series, you kind of, you want to keep the same tone so that people mm-hmm. know what they're going to get from novel to novel, but it is fun to sort of break out every now and then and try something different. Oh gosh. Outstanding. Oh, well, I can't wait to hear more about these other ones and uh, please, you got to let us know when these other books come out so that we can help uh, share them with our audience. Oh, I will. Well, where can people find and follow you? Uh, you can just go to my website, which is edwin, edwin-hill.com. And you can, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and all that. And you can, you can find that on my website. Great. Great. Fantastic. And of course, everybody, you know, I'm going to have those links in the show notes so you can go uh, follow Edwin and uh, sign up for his newsletter and uh, yeah, follow him everywhere around. Thank you so much for, uh, for making some time today and coming on. I, I hope all the best for this, uh, this new release. It looks extremely exciting. There's a lot of uh, buildup about it. So I can, and I can understand why. And uh, hopefully you have yourself a, a really good Christmas as well. Oh, thanks, Jason. This was great. <laughs> All right. Ladies and gentlemen, time for me to step aside with my coffee and listen in as our guest Edwin Hill reads a sample chapter from his latest book, Watcher. Thank you. I'm going to read the first chapter from the book. There's actually a prologue that happens before this that takes place in 1997. But this is the first chapter from the main text, and it, it just takes place in the current day. And it's told from Hester's point of view. Freezing rain splattered the windshield and heat poured from the vents as Hester Thursby's non-husband, Morgan, tried to parallel park their truck on an industrial street in Jamaica Plain. A week into spring and winter still had a hold on Boston. Success, he said, after the third attempt, cutting the engine and leaning across the cab to kiss Hester on the cheek. Tonight, he'd tamed his red hair and changed out of the scrubs he wore at the veterinary hospital and into a navy blue suit that fit perfectly, a suit that made its way out of his closet about once a year. Hello, Mrs., he said, kissing her again. Yuck, quit kissing. Hester's five-year-old niece, Kate, glared at them from the rear cab. These days, the girl seemed to drink in everything and anything that happened around her and didn't think twice about voicing her opinions. It was a good quality to have though sometimes Hester had to remind herself to encourage it. Kate would finish kindergarten in a few months, and Hester knew she'd blink, and soon enough the girl would be heading to college. She tried to make every moment with her niece special, even the one that gave her a glimpse of the teenage years. How's this? Morgan asked, kissing Hester with exaggerated smacks. He rolled over the seat and into the back and kissed Kate, too, who shrieked and shoved him away. Uncle Morgan, you are disgusting. Guilty as charged, Morgan said. And saying no is your prerogative, Hester said. It is, Morgan said, having the good sense not to go in for a final smooch. What's prerogative, Kate asked. You're privileged, you're right. You're in control of your body, Hester said, quickly adding, except when it comes to eating vegetables. None of us has a choice when it comes to vegetables, Morgan says. It's pouring out, Hester said. We'll have to run between the raindrops. You can't run between raindrops, Kate said. And I can't fool you about anything these days, Hester said. She opened the door to the truck and leapt to the asphalt below while yanking the hood on her blue raincoat up. When she stepped onto the running board, Kate had already undone her seatbelt. I can do it myself, the girl said, slipping right past Hester's outstretched arms and leaping to the ground. Yes, you can. Morgan dashed to their side and the three of them hurried through the rain down Amory Street toward a long brick building that took up most of the block. Banners for Prescott University, a local art school, spanned the building's street face and lights blared from plate glass windows. A prominent placard over the entrance read Tucker, 
Matson Student Center, and beside it, their destination, the Matson Gallery. Brand new campus center, Hester said, big change. I haven't been to this neighborhood in a few years. I went to high school a few blocks from here, Morgan said. Hester tensed at this tidbit of information. For most of their nine-year relationship, Hester and Morgan had had an unspoken rule. They didn't talk about their pasts, including dating history or family. It was like they'd both appeared on Earth fully formed on the day they'd met. Lately, though, Morgan had begun to dangle factoids like this one, tiny windows into his past. She could have asked a follow-up question. What school? Were you in the marching band? Did you date the head cheerleader? But she let this statement hang between them. Kate, however, did not. Can we see your school, she asked. I don't think it's there anymore, Morgan said. They tore it down. When? Maybe 10 years ago. Kate considered the answer for a moment. Before I was born, she said, her latest obsession being the time before her own existence. Long before, Morgan said. Hester yanked open the glass doors to the gallery and led the way into an atrium that spanned the length of two buildings. The noise from the crowd thankfully drowned out any more of Kate's questions. I didn't know this would be such a big deal, Hester shouted. Banners fell from the soaring ceilings, announcing Boston's 30 under 30 in graphic design, while servers in black ties circulated among the crowd of women in cocktail dresses and men in expensive glasses. Hester recognized familiar faces from TV, local newscasters and politicians, even a state senator. Kate took a step into the throng surrounding them. Hester grabbed her hand. Stick with me, she said. Kate glared at her. I'm not a baby, she said. I know, but stay where I can see you anyway. Morgan checked their coats and offered an arm. Should we dive in? Hester smoothed the fabric on her black cocktail dress and put a hand to her hair, which she'd tied into a bun. She'd even dug out contact lenses and makeup for this event. She occasionally attended cocktail parties at Harvard, where she worked as a research librarian, but most nights she spent at home with Morgan and Kate and their Basset Hound waffles, or occasionally out with a tight-knit group of friends, one of whom, Sergeant Detective Angela White, walked toward her right now. I'm like a fly in milk in this shindig, Angela said. Usually Angela wore tailored suits and practical shoes that made it easy to move on the job, but tonight she'd opted for a multicolored caftan and had wound a scarf around her thick, natural hair and tied it in an elaborate knot. She even wore heels. I went for artistic, she said when she caught Hester eyeing her getup. Don't get used to it. These shoes are killing me. Isaiah, Angela's seven-year-old son, tugged at Hester's sleeve. Unlike Kate, Isaiah was shy and avoided speaking unless Hester crouched to let him whisper in her ear. I won the 100-meter butterfly, he said. Like Michael Phelps, Hester said. Show me the ribbon next time I'm over. Just as Angela hated most dogs, Hester, as a rule, wasn't a fan of most kids other than Kate. She made a few rare exceptions, and Isaiah was one of them. Morgan sidled up to her. Don't you want to know more about my high school, he whispered. A server swung by with a tray of well-timed hors d'oeuvres. Hester shoved one into her mouth to keep from answering, but Morgan waited patiently. You could tell me something too, he said. It could be a game. One question a day, ask me anything. We both have to answer no matter what. That sounds like a terrible game, Hester said. Come on, tell me something little. Did you play the clarinet? Do I look like I played the clarinet? A thespian? Not even close. Morgan tilted his head. You look like waffles waiting for a treat, Hester said. And when he still wouldn't let it go, she added, tomorrow at work, I'll find any answer I want to. I'm a librarian. That's what I do for a living. Maybe I'll figure out what Jamaica Plains schools were demolished. I'll find your yearbook and I'll do it all in secret. Happy? Morgan grinned. You wouldn't do that. We trust each other too much. She wouldn't, but it was nice to know that she could. 
Mathlete, he asked. Fine, Hester said, chess club. That I should have guessed, Morgan said. Where did the kids go, Angela asked. Hester turned in the crowded room, but Kate had managed to slip away. So had Isaiah, though Hester would bet money that Kate had led the escape. I'll find her. Get me a whiskey. Neat. Morgan saluted and headed toward the bar. You go that way, Angela said. I'll go this way. Text if you find them, Hester said. She shoved her way into the crowd. She also shoved down the fear that still gripped at her heart whenever Kate was out of sight. They couldn't have gone far, not in 30 seconds. All right, a little bit of a cliffhanger ending there. Where did the kids go? That was Edwin Hill reading a sample chapter from his latest Hester Thursby mystery, Watch Her. The book is available for pre-order right now and comes out on December 29th. So click that link in the show notes for that book. And you can also find links there for more about Edwin as well. Don't forget those links also for my sponsor and podcast friends alike. And hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out next week when I'm coming back with previous guest Craig DeLuey and his latest book, Children of Red Peak. But in the meanwhile, I hope you have a safe and wonderful holiday. And uh, we'll see you again real soon. Merry Christmas, everyone. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.